Hello and welcome to episode 16 of Yes Upper Yes. Now, it's, I think, I've, again, Paul, we made the same mistake we usually do last week. We didn't introduce ourselves again or what the podcast was. That's true. Or explain the rules. Or explain the or, rules. We just yeah. launched straight into it. <laughs> My name is Anthony Edmondson, also known as VoiceOver Tony, and I am with Paul Anthony Jones, also known as Haggard Hawks. On Twitter and everything else. Uh, and basically, the Yes or BS game, if anyone's new to the podcast, we each tell each other three facts. They could be true or they could be lies. We And then we try to guess if we're telling the truth or lying or not. Mm. And there's, there's points along the way if we guess correctly or befuddle the other person correctly. I honestly can't keep track of the scores. There's only six <laughs> of them. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> But today, Paul, in terms of facts, I'm not too confident, actually. Oh, really? Um, I know we were at the pub last night. Mm, so explains I'm... a lot. <laughs> yeah. I remember in the pub you said you've got some really good facts. I'm really confident with mine. I've got some good stories, I think. And I think when you said that last night, I kind of swung back at you and then I said, I had a blind overconfidence in my facts, but mm. I'll get on reading them again today. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a lot less confident. Oh, really? See, now, this keeps happening, though, There's that like pride comes before a fall. So I'm sat here going, I've got three really good ones, which probably means I'm going to lose terribly mm. so yeah I, anything could happen and last week I put so much effort into those facts and then <laughs> yeah, I still lost like 5-3 I know you you just put so much effort into everything I cobble this together in about 20 minutes it's a, disgusting and you do, you do weeks and weeks of research <laughs> for nothing for nothing at all <laughs> right so are you ready for me to start launching into my first okay fight? let's go I'm finally moving on from the Romans Oh, into what, the Etruscans? <laughs> Isn't that moving backwards? I don't know. You're asking the wrong person. Yeah, yeah, it's moving backwards, yeah. yeah. Still don't ruin my facts <laughs> straight yeah, out of the gate. Okay. But I'm not moving very far from the Romans because we're going to the Byzantine Empire. <sighs> yeah, you... <laughs> All right, okay. Buckle up, everyone. I'll eventually get to the modern era at some point. Episode 44,000. So we're in Constantinople today. Okay. And... We're recording in uh, <laughs> downtown Istanbul. <laughs> We're in the we're in the old quarter today, also known as your spare bedroom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so we're in the year uh, five thirty two A.D. in Constantinople. Mm-hmm. So Constantinople was the capital of the Eastern Roman Empire when the Roman Empire was split into two. Okay. Now the Western Roman Empire had fallen about fifty years previously. Right. So we've now got Justinian the first is on the throne of what was the Eastern Roman Empire, but is now the Byzantine Empire. Okay. Okay. He... So the Roman Empire is completely gone. Western Roman Empire has, yes. Uh, right, right, okay. But in the East, it lives on in As the Byzantines. the Byzantines, yes. okay. It was actually Justinian I, it was his dream to reunite the Roman Empire and take back all of the old territories. All right, he did okay. actually quite well. He got most of North Africa back, parts of Spain, almost all of Italy. Really? Yeah, and then um, after he died, I think it was his son lost a lot of that territory, uh, and it was pushed back. And... So the, the Byzantine Empire was that big? Yeah. Oh, wow. It was basically what used to be the entire eastern half of the Roman Empire. Oh, right. So okay. only, when you say, oh, Rome collapsed, only the west collapsed. I thought it was kind of like Turkey and like that was it. That was where they got pushed back to. Because mm. when um, the Arab invasions of the 600s onwards, mm. they kind of pushed north, took most of the Middle East, pushed the Byzantines out of Turkey. Oh, right. Took Constantinople. Yeah. I just think, when was Constantinople renamed Istanbul? Because I know you're good on your capital cities. Yeah, but, well, that's not the capital. Anchor, oh, Anchor is, <laughs> is the capital of Turkey. <laughs> this is why we don't invite you to the pub quiz. <laughs> or the pub. <laughs> this is why you get out. 
I was on a good. I was on a comfortable roll yeah. there. I don't know. I, I've got a feeling actually. The cha- like um, the change to Istanbul is quite recent. I think. Uh, I think it was like the twenties or something. Yeah, because it was when it was when they sort of modernized Turkey under Ataturk that everything got changed. So it was like the Arabic alphabet mm. became the English, well, the Roman alphabet. Mm. Um, and I th- I'm sure it was around about then because I'm sure Constantinople was like still there in like the 1800s mm. as well. The name anyway. The city's obviously always been there. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't built a hundred years ago. It periodically disappeared, like Brigadoon. Um, I'm sure that this is something to follow up at some point. Exactly. Mm. Anyway. So we're in Constantinople in 532 AD, and I want to talk about some of history's first sports hooligans. All right, okay. Ah, you see, you didn't know I was going there, yeah, this, did you? Your facts always take these sudden <laughs> vias to one side. I like to set the scene mm-hmm. and then take a left turn. Okay. But these hooligans come in chariot racing. Okay. So I have no idea where you're going with this. Basically, each area of the city was called a deem. Think of it as like a borough or a, a suburb of a city. A deem. D-E-M-E. Yes. It's a Greek word related uh, to demos. So people. Yeah. So like an area of the city. Okay. And there were four... See, my, my little etymology cogs are already <laughs> whirring around. <laughs> you see, I've got to be careful when I use etymology. <laughs> it's like... Okay. Yeah, yeah. So each... There were four main deems. Right. And each one of these deems had their own chariot team. Right. A uh, team the, and the deem. Yes, exactly. They keep it very simple. They were basically the blues, the greens, the reds, and the whites. Okay. This is actually true so far. All right, okay. So they were okay. actually sports teams. Oh, really? And they had supporters in the different areas of the city. Really? And they were like different colours? Yeah, different colours. And why, colors. why would you follow the particular one? Was it to do with where you lived? Yeah, where you lived. Oh, right, So okay. that was like, we're the greens. What? We're, this f- is like- we're from the old quarter. Old quarter greens. Whoop, whoop, whoop. This is nuts. This to people who like history, this will be obvious. But to me, it's just it's like odd to think of something kind of so modern as like that old. Exactly. Well, it's it's human beings, really. We haven't really changed much yeah, since yeah, the dawn of times, really. I yeah. Think. The interesting thing about these teams is they were also acted as like semi-political parties as well as gangs. Like they could rough up other politicians. They could put their support behind who they wanted to be the next emperor. Right. And actually, the Blues were the most powerful because Justinian the First was a supporter of the Blues. Oh right. Okay. So he was always, and actually, they would often chant different slogans during in between chariot races. Like they would try and yell at the emperor, to really? say, "Right, right, lads, this time we want more grain for this quarter. Let's go and shout that at the next chariot race and right. see who listens." Oh wow! So it was sort of like quite politicized then. It was, okay. but they obviously had more typical, like your more typical hooligan behavior. Like we'll meet after the match and we'll just fight. Right. Okay. Mm. So that's all true. Up to this okay. point. So now we're venturing into, have I made this up? Okay. So it's actually, I said we we're at 532 AD. We're actually in late November, December, 531 now. Right. And there'd been a bust up after a big chariot match where the blues and the greens, uh, it resulted in some people who had been killed during the fighting. So the Imperial Guard arrested several of the gang members involved and they later broke out of prison and they started to rile up their own deem. Right. So right, we needed, we're sick of this emperor and his tyrannical ways, even mm-hmm. though he wasn't that tyrannical, and they wanted to install a new emperor. So they kind of got a mob together, mm-hmm. uh, stormed the Hippodrome, mm-hmm. and then they joined up the Blues and Greens, two gangs, and they besieged the Imperial Palace. And it was under siege for about five days. But before they got to the siege in the palace, they just went on a rampage through Constantinople. Right. And the 
Hagia Sophia was even burnt down as well. What? So uncultured yobs. Okay, so two rival sports teams <clears throat> had a fight, <clears throat> then they got arrested. Yes. Broke out of prison, and then they met up again. Yeah, well, it was basically the Blues and Greens members of both gangs got arrested for... Right. They were arrested for murder because people had died during right, these right. fights, the riots. So they'd escaped from prison, went back to their own deems, their own yeah. quarter, started to rile up their own gang supporters and said, I think it's about time we had a new emperor. Right. Because the emperor had refused to release them because they were going to be tried and hanged for murder. Right. Actually, most of them were hanged. It was like the last few who escaped. Who escaped. Okay. Yeah. So they weren't... Were they still sort of blue versus green? No, they kind of joined forces together. Get rid of the emperor that had put them all in prison. Yes. He was, he'd actually raised taxes a lot, which was the kind of the spark, the real spark for this riot was right. they were upset with high taxes. They right. wanted to install a new emperor. And being thrown in prison was just sort of... Like, that was the, 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 the match strike, yeah. really. Okay. There, was kind of, there was a lot of unrest in the city before this. So they put their rivalry aside and besieged the palace in order to overthrow this sort of tyrant. Yes. Essentially a rebellion, but by sports hooligans. Right. Okay. And the way it was put down, he used his favourite eunuch, Narsus. Okay. <laughs> now, if you've made this up, the fact that you've worked a eunuch into here, that it's just speaks volumes. He thought that like, Justinian couldn't go and meet the leaders himself because mm-hmm. they might have lynched him. Okay. But everybody loved Narsus. He was a very popular eunuch. Mm-hmm. So they sent him out with a big bag of gold. So Justinian said to Narsus, go take this bag of gold to the blue team and remind them that I'm actually a big supporter of the blues. Oh, well, right. Okay. I love the blue team. Mm-hmm. So that actually worked. He paid off the blues. They left and went back to their homes. Mm-hmm. And then Justinian used that opportunity to strike because he now outnumbered the remaining the, the greens. The remaining greens right. And about 30,000 of them were killed. There was that many of them that that riled up? Yeah, they'd all kind of gathered in the Hippodrome by this point. So they were a nice, easy target to box in. Oh, right, okay. Well, that was a short, short sighted uh, (laughs) (laughs) plan. Well, these sports hooligans, they're not really (laughs) going to be thinking about tactics, are they? Mm. Let's all get into somewhere that we can be easily locked into and then (laughs) slaughtered. Exactly. Okay. So that is my. Did that riot happen? And was the Hagia Sophia burnt down? And, and by then, sports hooligans. And then a eunuch was... Sent to save the day. Now, you, you called him a popular eunuch. Yes. Who was he popular with? The people. Did the people know the eunuchs? Um, I think Narsus was actually a general as well, maybe. Because I just always thought of, like, the eunuchs as sort of standing over, like, the Vestal Virgins. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, <laughs> protecting them and, like, you know, you can look, but you can't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> they had lives as well, Paul. You know? Yeah, well, you're not much of one. Um, that's surprising. I, I, yeah, I didn't think that the that eunuchs had a particularly public life. This is, I, I kind of don't know where to go with this mm. because I didn't even think that there would be like these sort of sporting rivalries, but obviously all mm. of that was true. Mm. It's the story that's just, I, I, yeah, I don't kind of know what to think about it. I, even my gut is kind of undecided. I haven't kind of come down on either side of it yet. The blues were paid off. Yes. And so that left only the greens. Yes. And the greens were rounded up and killed. Slaughtered. So what happened after that then? Did, did Justinian then reign for like another 30 years or he something? He did. He reigned for quite some time after that because he, then he went on to go and retake a lot of the old lost Western Roman Empire territories. So this was just a sort of flash. It wasn't... It was. Yeah, it was a flash. I think it was relatively early on in his reign. Right. Okay. But so he, he, went, of... uh, he went from strength to strength from this. He was noted as one of the most uh, popular and effective emperors of the Byzantine Empire, actually. Okay. All right. Okay. You answered that very convincingly. Mm. And this is why I think Narsus the eunuch went on to again. I'm probably talking bollocks here, but I'm sure Narsus was a general. That... <laughs> oh, 
Oh, oh. <laughs> a joke in there didn't somewhere. even didn't even realise mm-hmm. that one. I'm sure he was a general that helped Justinian go and reconquer a lot of the old territories. That's interesting. I, I honestly thought that they were just like guards. Mm. I, I didn't realise that they were sort of like functional. No, they could get up to all sorts of stuff. Well, almost, <laughs> well, almost so. everything. Uh, okay, yeah. Again, now you come back with that. That's an interesting point. This is all very convincing now. But then again, I can totally see you reading up on this little bit of history. Finding out about these sports teams and then concocting this story and dropping these real characters and real mm. events in and then concocting everything else about the riot and the two teams working together. And yeah, I don't know. It's, it's very convincing, but there's something about it's just not quite sitting right. Really? Yeah. Mm. See, now you've got a little grin on your face. Now. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know what, I don't know what to think. Um, no, I'm, I'm grinning because you're enjoying history. I am. Yeah, if it was taught like this at school, I still wouldn't have enjoyed it. (laughs) Ready for a guess? Yeah, I am. It is very convincing, and I think I might get this wrong, but my gut is just, there's just something not quite right about it, I think. I think you might have made the right up. I I think this is BS. Final answer. Oh, having said that, I'm starting to doubt myself, but no, I'm going to stick with it. BS. This fact is completely true. Oh, wow. It was a massive riot. That's amazing. Justinian slaughtered the Greens. Wow. I suppose at the next chariot race, there wouldn't be much of a crowd there for them. <laughs> you know, that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. As if like 30,000 of them have yeah. been slaughtered. There's like one guy left. Yeah. <laughs> They're just sort of keeping his head down. <laughs> He's like, go Greens. You wow. can do it. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. It just, like, it seems so unbelievable. I, I just mm. didn't. And the fact that the Blues were just paid off. Yeah. Like, remember I support you. Oh, yeah, sorry. You know, as <laughs> oh, as you yeah. were, sorry, we're going home. Said. Greens, you're on your own. There would have been promises for more political power to the Blues. Right. And more prestige and status to be handed over to them. That's amazing. What a great story. Oh, thank you very much. Oh, cool. already one Finally, down. Yeah, you see, my slightly hungover self is on, on the ball here. So are you more confident in your facts today now? I am. I'm going to clean sweep oh, this one, so I yeah, think. I'm, I'm back on uh, sh- shady uh, territory here. Right, let's see how you go. So it's 1-0 to me, Paul. And I've done a very quick check. And Narcissus was actually a military general and a eunuch. It was his part in the riots that he was granted a small army and went on to help in the reconquest of Italy. Oh, wow. So, so he must have go. made quite a name for himself in this whole he, debacle. He did. I think he died about 70 or 80 as well or something. But there you go. To Nars- live to 80 in like, the, what, the <laughs> 6th century? Yeah. That's insane. <laughs> Had to be a eunuch who lived to 80 oh, as yeah, well. That's true. Hey, maybe the secret to longevity. Oh, no, that's, that's not worth it. Anyway. <laughs> so, um, right. first fact, Paul. So, I think it's fair to say that uh, neither of us are sort of born sportsmen. Well, you judge for yourself. Paul, I'm a regular Adonis. <laughs> chess is not a sport, I think. <laughs> um, I'm not even very good at chess. <laughs> but for, probably for that reason, uh, sport doesn't come up very often in, mm. in the old podcast game. But we did talk a while ago about the very first Olympics. We did. Which was uh, 1896. You remember where they were held? Oh. It wasn't Athens, was it? It was, yeah. yeah I, I thought it was. I, yeah, I, you, totally I remember because you, it was the, it was the Greek swim team who was only yeah the members the, of the Greek navy. It was there was only eleven competitors. <laughs> Something and only like three that, turned yeah. up. But anyway, yeah, well, yeah, that's in the first series, I think. Yeah, um, that's way so back. If, that if you haven't listened to it, listen back. It's it's a good <laughs> fact. Um, but we're gonna we're not talking about the very first Olympics again. We're going to talk about the Olympics from 1928. Do you know where they were held? Ooh, it begins with the same letter. Alberta. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, that's a region of Canada. So <laughs> almost. Ooh, boy, when I don't know yeah. a topic, I really don't know a topic. It's Amsterdam. Oh. They were held in Amsterdam. Amsterdam um, had applied to host the Olympics in 1920 and 1924 and been turned down twice. Um, so it didn't have a very good record. Were they too high to submit their application in time? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think it was probably to do with all the damage from the First World War. Oh, oh. So maybe right. not the best time to make jokes. Oh, is, uh. it, too, is it too soon? <laughs> um, yeah, so they lost out in 1920, which was held in Antwerp, and lost out again in 1924, which were moved in Paris. But when they were turned down in 1924, the kind of deal was that they would host the next one. So they mm. got the 1928 ones. Now, the 1896 games, I think there was like a dozen countries were involved when we were talking about that. Mm. It, it had started to become much bigger by the 1920s. So there was 46 countries mm. that took part in uh, the 1928 games. We, of course, were there, America and Australia and all of that. It was the first time uh, that Malta took part. Nice. We were now on the roster, um, along with Panama. Panama fielded <laughs> one athlete. Wow. His name was Aran Gordon. Mm-hmm. He's a swimmer. And he... Uh, got knocked out in the first round. He came all the way from Panama on his own. <laughs> he got knocked out in the first round with the slowest, uh, joint slowest time of oh. everyone who took part. Yeah, and then went all the way back to Panama. Um, but yeah, he lost out. The, the person who won gold in his race was Johnny Weissmuller. Do you know who that is? Oh, he, wasn't he... He was either a famous actor. <laughs> yeah, he was. Wasn't he an actor? Yeah, was he, he went on to play Tarzan. I thought he was Tarzan. Cause <laughs> yeah. wasn't he, I thought he was famous in the 20s and 30s. Yeah, so this was uh, his first sort of swimming gold. He, he, this Panamanian athlete lost out to. Other countries that took part included Germany. That was back. Mm. Uh, it had been banned from the, the 1920s and 1924. And came back with a vengeance. It fielded the biggest team. It fielded over 200 athletes, even more than the United States. Um, finished second in the in the medal table. Norway were involved, uh, including on their sailing team, Crown Prince Olaf. Seriously, the, the 20s was another world. <laughs> yeah, it, it was... who later became King Olaf V <laughs> was uh, on the... Um, on the sailing team, he won gold, Olympic gold. Um, Japan won its first medal. It was also the first Asian medal of mm. any Olympics. Um, was this one in the in the triple jump? And Ireland won its the first triple medal. jump. The Japan, triple jump. Yeah, Japan won the triple jump. I know what a world this was. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So forty six countries altogether. There was two thousand eight hundred eighty three athletes involved. Which so it is starting to become quite big now. It was hundred nine events, twenty different sports, and over two thousand athletes. How many of those athletes do you think were women? Oh, zero. <laughs> it's not quite as bad as that. <laughs> you see, I thought it was either going to be really bad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, or surprisingly zero. equal. Out of uh, 2,800, there was 277, mm. uh, which actually for 1928 isn't too bad. It's about 9%. And it's still not equal. Even in even the Rio Olympics, uh, it was 45, 55 for, for female and male. So yeah, so it's still a little bit unequal. Mm. But this was the first time that women were allowed to take part in athletics and gymnastics. Mm. They, they'd been added to the roster. He has two little stories that we're telling you about the new women's events all of this i should say is still completely true yeah early olympics we could do like episode after episode (laughs) about these there was a lot of protest about women getting involved there's a lot of protest about women becoming athletes Mm. as well so much so that reports started to be circulated completely made up that in the 800 meter women's race the competitors had started like fainting with exhaustion before the end of the race (laughs) Um, and it was completely untrue. They all finished the race and it all went ahead and the medals were handed out. But people were so sort of shocked that women were taking part mm. that this rumour was started and everyone believed it, even though it hadn't happened. Was everyone it like believed it. Probably printed in like the press and everything. I don't know about that, but it led to all women's races over 200 metres being banned until the 1960s. Wow. Like it went that far and none of it happened. 
How insane is That's that? Like, did anyone not think to investigate? <laughs> no, it's just like, it sounds so mad. But yeah, there was no women's race longer than 200 meters until the 60s after Jeez. this. Just because of these sort of rumors that women had been fainting with the effort. And it absolutely didn't happen. The other thing as well, the uh, last surviving competitor from the 1928 games, when do you think mm. she died? Oh, uh, recently, I'm guessing. Within the last 10 years? Wow, she died in 2018. Wow. Yeah, she was 102. She was 12 when she took part. 12? <laughs> she was an Italian gymnast uh, called Clara Marangoni. Can 12-year-olds take part? <laughs> what a world the 20s were. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so she was one of these very first athletes and, and she's one of the longest lived uh, Olympians ever. She died mm. January 2018. Yeah, so there's still more background material. This is amazing. Yeah. Just forget your facts. There this are just... so many firsts here. Mm. Um, this was the first time that the Olympic flame burned for the entire duration of the event. It used to be just sort of, just sort of lit and then mm. quietly kind of turned off. <laughs> we, don't to, we don't want to spend on the gas yeah yeah we'll just sort of rein that in but no it was kept burning for the entire olympics and then extinguished at the closing ceremony so that was the first time that happened uh do you know when all the countries come out there's a tradition of uh, what order they go out in uh, i thought it was alphabetical well host first and then alphabetical oh host last oh and right. greece is always first oh and this was the first year that that happened just because they invented it two thousand <laughs> yeah. years ago so this was the first time that even though it was in amsterdam greece went out first mm. because they were sort of the Olympians uh, and then it was you know whatever it was Albania and then everyone else yeah and then the host nation went out last that was and, and that's still what happens today mm. this was the first time Coca-Cola sponsored the Olympics ah, in 1928 first of many to come yeah it was also the first one that was referred to as a summer Olympics because there was a winter Olympics that mm. year in San Moritz the last time that that had happened the first winter Olympics were four years earlier but they were kind of held concurrently Mm. So while the Olympics were going on in Paris, in Chamonix, in the Alps, they were having the Winter Olympics at exactly the same time. Ah. Um, so this was the first time that they were divided up. Mm. So it's the first one that was ever called the Summer Games. And it was the second time in history that the Olympics hadn't been opened by the reigning head of state. This had happened before in 1904 when they were held in St. Louis in, in Minnesota. And mm. the president at the time who would have been 1904 would have been Roosevelt? Maybe. I'm not up on my US presidents. Yeah, um, he didn't open them and it was left to the mayor of St. Louis <laughs> to open the Olympics. <laughs> big day for um, Yeah, but this is the second time that it happened. Queen Wilhelmina mm. of the Netherlands was away in Norway, so it was left to her husband, Prince Hendrik. Mm. He opened it instead. But there was a rumour that she'd actually kind of engineered this visit to Norway because she thought the Olympics were connected to the sort of old paganism of ancient Greece. Oh, she was well, very religious. I suppose. Yeah, she was very <laughs> like... religious and she um, apparently wasn't too keen on them mm. being brought back. I, I don't know how true that is, but that mm. was certainly the rumour that was started. So anyway, yes, all of that is true. You've done, you've finally done a lot of work on Honestly, a fact for a the, change. The early Olympics are just, they're amazing. But there is one particular story about this one that, that uh, I want to focus in. On. Mm. Amsterdam at the time, this is in the sort of late 20s, had within the sort of vicinity of the Olympic Stadium only had about 2,000 car parking spaces. Mm. All of the interest has drained out of this fact <laughs> instantly. As I just, as I just glazed over. Uh, oh, yeah. right. oh, we're going to talk about It's about, about the car, car parks. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, there was only about 2,000 car parking spaces. This was obviously not enough to, to host the Olympics. So what they started to do was sort of build car parks all over the city. They'd sort of clear out all the land and make this a parking area and this a parking area and so on and so on. And eventually it worked and they've got lots and lots of new areas for people to park cars and bikes and things. Because a lot of people are going to travel to the city, obviously, mm. 
lots of spectators plus all of like the competitors and all their families and all the journalists and everyone else so they needed lots and lots of space the problem is that all these people are turning up who don't speak dutch mm. so what they came up with was this idea of handing out parking permits for i think they were for three or four days you could park your, your car there and everywhere that you could park your car they put up a big sign with a blue background and a big white p okay okay and they put these signs up all over the city and the universal car parking sign was invented there and then mm. for the Amsterdam Olympics. This is your fact. This is the fact. Right. First question then. What's the Dutch word for parking? Parking. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you Park go. with an E-N on the end of it. Um, yeah. And it, now this is sort of seen as the universal sign. So I was going to say, what about there's be dozens of different languages being spoken? The, the word for parking wouldn't begin with a P for all of them. But... It kind of does. kind of does. If you think of French, it's mm. le parking. Wow. We're really, <laughs> we're really <laughs> plumbing the depths on this one. No, it's true. Le parking. Yeah. Um, you know, parking, it's like taxi. That's, that's a sort of universal yeah, word. That's true. Um, I, th- I think, I, I'm sure I've read somewhere. I don't think this is completely true. It's one of these facts that gets kind of bandied around in word websites that aren't quite as rigorous in their research yeah. as Haggard Hawks is. Um, they, they say that taxi is the sort of most universal word in the world. Mm. So I think it's the same in the most languages. I don't think that's completely true. Mm. Especially now, it's probably like internet or something. Mm. But yeah, there are some words that are kind of just passed from one language to the other because they need to be universal. Right. Part of me thinks that you had so many wonderful facts about the Olympics Mm -hmm. that you literally just tagged tagged, (laughs) tagged this bollocks on the end. Oh, Mm -hmm. parking. There were 2,000 parking spaces. But is it the universal sign for parking, though? I'm trying to think, like all the places I've been, is that P? the same in every country I've been to. Oh, that's that's for you to decide. I don't I don't think it is. Mm-hmm. Something about that it just it's, it feels ooh. when you were in Mauritius driving your quad bike. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like a joke but it absolutely <laughs> isn't. <laughs> uh, did you put it back next to a big letter P? I wasn't on the roads on the quad bike. Uh, that, I was that explains a lot. I parked, you, I parked it in a shed. You probably just left it in the ditch you crouched in. <laughs> that that is a joke. <laughs> Ah, uh, I don't think that's true. I'm trying to rack my brains now as I go around the world. But then again, mm-hmm. you've got such a smug little smile on uh, your face yeah, it's now. Just, you know, have you found me out? Have you worked this out? <laughs> oh! <laughs> How horrible is this game? This is so <laughs> stressful. It's not even that bad, this fact. No, right. it's just they needed people to understand where they could park. So they invented this sign. It was very successful. It solved the problem. So it started to get used everywhere else. I was thinking of interrogating you on the history of cars, but I'm guessing you will not, <laughs> you will not know anything. <laughs> My specialist subject, yes. <laughs> right. I think I want to just take a guess. My gut's actually saying it's true, though. Don't, don't you do this? What? <laughs> yeah, what? Yeah. Yeah, I think you're trying to change my mind I'm, back to I'm false. literally not doing anything. No, right, that's it. Final answer. Okay. Uh, this is true. <laughs> Last minute reversal. Yeah, I okay. pulled a sneaky on you there. Okay, all right. You think this is true? Yeah. The parking sign was invented for the 1928 Olympics. You've got such a grin on your face, though. <laughs> yes, yes, it okay. was. That story? Yeah. And everything else was completely true. Oh. Thank yeah, parking was invented for the Olympics. Really? How That's... mad is that? And it was really successful. Like I say, yeah, there was. Uh, it ended up um, something like seven hundred cars a day needed to be parked mm. around the city, and everyone found the way around really easily. Twenty-six thousand cars are recorded went past the stadium. 
And yeah, no problems at all. That's and it's because it was so successful that it was taken back to the, all the other countries and started to be Look used in that. the same way. The origin of the park sign. Yeah. So out of all those really interesting facts, I think <laughs> literally the most boring one. I was going to say, why didn't you stick that in the middle and then launch with it? With Japan won the triple jump, or there was a twelve-year-old girl who won gold or something. Yeah. Yeah. But that's all. All of that is true. Yeah. We'll come back to Queen Wilhelmina's paganism maybe at a later date. <laughs> That was a good fact there, Paul. Yeah, and then mm. the parking sign. Put her 2 nil down. Oh, I told you it's going to be an absolute clean sweep today. <laughs> and for my next fact, I think it's our very first dinosaur fact Ooh. we've had on Yes or BS. I, I like a bit of dinosaur oh, action, I love I've the dinosaurs. Um, but before I get into my main Yes or BS, I'm going to pepper it with some interesting facts about the dinosaurs. Okay. I'm always up for some <laughs> dinosaur facts. I think... Because you know so little about history mm-hmm. that I think I'd be quite strong on this one. Okay. And I think you probably know even less about paleontology, but you just probably. like the dinosaurs. Yeah. I mean, you, here's a, here's a joke. You know so little about paleontology, you thought the Flintstones was a documentary. You know, I am. I probably edit that out when I come back to do. Yeah, dear me. I might just edit you out of the game. Oh, say! Oh, all, all my excitement at some dinosaur facts is just—it's just disappeared. Should we talk about car parks again? We're really losing those three <laughs> listeners again this week. Ah, oh, it's been—it's been a while since you tried to shoehorn in a terrible joke. God, I know. I've almost almost missed them. I almost, have, I, but I not haven't. quite. Yeah. <laughs> but, they come once every four episodes. I shoot on a terrible. Anyway, anyway, what are my dinosaur facts? Now, these are some general facts. Mm-hmm. Now, you've got to remember the dinosaurs roamed the earth about 150 million years. Mm-hmm. So it's almost impossible to make generalizations. Yeah. But some of the general. The oh, gen- so it's just sort of talking about dinosaurs in general. Dinosaurs in general. Oh, I've, right, got, okay. I've got a couple of facts in here, though, this one. Um, something you might relate to, Paul. It, here we the go. Fact, the fact that it is true that they generally had very small brains <laughs> the size of their body. Yeah. Uh, do you know what? Do you know which dinosaur had one of the smallest brains compared to its size? I've got a feeling I do know this. Yeah, it's quite a common one. This is it one. the Stegosaurus? It is the Stegosaurus. Yeah. Do you know how heavy or how big its brain was? I think I know this as well. Ooh. Was it the size of a walnut? It was about the size <laughs> of a walnut. Yeah, I used to read the dinosaur books like incessantly when I was mm. kids. So yeah, I was absolutely obsessed with them. So for an animal that was about four and a half metric tons in weight, its brain only weighed about eighty grams or. No way! I didn't realize it was yeah. that that small. Yeah, it was really. That's tiny. insane! It must have been thick as mint. <laughs> eighty grams out of four tons. <laughs> It was. I probably just didn't even know where the, it was most pa- of the time. Exactly. Paleontologists think it was just enough to keep it going. Like it's it was running that, on it running on instinct a lot of the time. That is insane. It's it seems to suggest there was a lot of big predators about at that time anyway. Mm. If it's got that much protection in its skull, mm. it was the, the Stegosaurus's tiny brain perpetuated the myth that all dinosaurs were dumb as rocks and had uh, tiny brains. But yeah. That's not generally the case. That's a lot of them did have small brains for their size, but right. not as tiny as the Stegosaurus did. But mm. to be fair, like an ostrich's brain is smaller than its mm-hmm. eye. I know mm. ostriches have big eyes, but... Ostriches are horrible. I don't like They're ostriches. They're just awful. Yeah. It's kind of like all the worst attributes of like a horse <laughs> put into a bird that looks like a divorced drag queen. <laughs> 
It's the new, it's not going to be the new zoo description. Yeah. I know two Stegosaurus facts. Ooh, I like I this one. I, I don't no, know if you're going to no. preempt them or not. No, go on. The spines on its back, mm. we always think of them as like standing upright, mm. but they weren't actually like fused to the spine. They were just sort of paddles of bone. Mm. So we think now that they probably lay flat most of the time. Really? And it was only when it got kind of aroused <laughs> or had to sort of see off a predator or something that it would kind of stand these things up like a cat. That's fascinating. It's mad, isn't it? Yeah. And the other thing is that the spines on its tail are called thagomizers. Oh, was that a Hagatogs fact? Yeah, it was. Do you know where it comes from? Oh, no, I don't remember. It's a Gary Larson cartoon of like cavemen giving mm. a display about the stegosaurus and it says these are called thagomizers after mm. a character that was apparently killed by a stegosaurus and this has been picked up and like used by paleontologists so there's my two stegosaurus facts this is more fascinating than my actual fact I think a third fact stegosaurus <laughs> oh, means roofed lizard Ooh. I think it'll come from Greek anyway I was actually I was going to ask you later on on some dinosaur names with Ooh, like right, the Latin okay. names right. we'll get to those in a bit right. but another fascinating fact do you know the biggest flying dinosaur oh like a pterosaur yeah, the biggest pterosaur. <sighs> what do I, do I know its name? Yes. Uh, David? David, yes, David, <laughs> David the pterosaur. I, no, the I biggest. don't know. It was called Quetzalcoatlus Northrupi. You might have heard that name before, Quetzalcoatlus. That's something to do with the Aztecs, it isn't is. it? It is. Do you know who he was? You, we've talked about this before. We have. I'm think, I'm trying to see if you remember. Was he like a sun god or something? So he was the Aztec god of wind, air and learning. And he was a feathered serpent. Oh, right. And as you know, it's very common for paleontologists to believe that most of the dinosaurs were actually feathered. Yeah. No. Yeah. And they're kind of precursors to modern birds. I know it's like scientifically accurate, but I kind of don't want that to be true. I know. They just, when you see the pictures of them, like yeah. feathered. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, like the velociraptors in Jurassic Park are terrifying. Mm. But if they strutted in looking like <laughs> a chicken, you'd just be like, what? Funny you should say that oh, because we'll be getting onto this soon. Oh, no. It's velociraptors right. we're going to talk about. But we'll finish off first on Quetzalcoatlus. Mm. So he was obviously named after the Aztec god because he kind of looked like him, feathered serpent. Yeah. He's literally, that's what the god was. Yeah. And he had a wingspan of about 16 meters. What? Which that's is insane. 52 feet for our American listeners. So that imagine is that ridiculous. Thing. That's like a. How did it get off the ground? <laughs> That's it's probably incredibly light though, because all of its bones would be hollow. Oh yeah, of course. That's insane. Mm. Like, imagine... It'd be like the size of like a biplane or something. Even bigger, I think. I could probably ride one of those to work. <laughs> so, like yeah, flash forward like twenty years, you're actually running Jurassic Park just so you can ride a dinosaur <laughs> yeah. to work. Ride this specific pterodactyl <laughs> called Quetzalcoatlus. Wow. Okay. Uh, so we've kind of touched on the feathered aspect of all these dinosaurs mm. as well. And we believe that's because the dinosaurs were a mixture of warm and cold-blooded because the main function of feathers is to trap heat. So they couldn't be completely cold-blooded. And also to enable flight. And to, well, like, of course. But <laughs> the, for the, certain, birds, for the birds aren't wearing them for thermal reasons. For for certain, well, for, well, the bloody raptors weren't flying oh, anywhere, yeah, were they? True, Jeez, yeah. but the, for the dinosaurs that were on the ground, yeah, they used feathers yeah. for heat, right. people believe. But now we're on to the velociraptor. Okay. So do you know what that means in Latin? I do. It means swift thief. Yes. Now I want to tell you about some fascinating facts about the raptors first. I love this. Actually, this is kind of, I wanted to bring out an, kind of an unsung hero of paleontology, Ooh. as well as tell you about a fascinating fossil. That's one of my favorites. This, okay. is, this is all true, right. by the way. So it was a Polish um, paleontologist and she was called Halska Omolska. 
This is true. This is true. This is amazing. I've said before that women in history need absolutely shouting from the rooftops. So, yeah, let's champion this. And she led a Polish-Mongolian paleontology expedition in Mongolia in the 60s and 70s. Right. And her work kind of laid the foundation for what we know about velociraptors today. What? And one of the fossils they found, it's a velociraptor locked in combat with a protoceratops. And a protoceratops That's is... That's like a triceratops, isn't it? It's like it? a triceratops, but it's just got one flat plate right. on its head. Oh, it kind of looks a bit like a rhino. Yes, yeah. a bit like a rhino. Cross between a, a triceratops and a rhino. Right. So it looks like they, they, the quote from the museum in Ulaanbaatar, where this fossil is, mm-hmm. it was, they remain forever locked in mortal combat. So, this the fossil, the velociraptors sunk its foot claw into the neck of the herbivore for a kind of a kill and blow. But the protoceratops fought back. It looks like it's bitten the raptor's arm, broken its arm, and then fallen on it. And like the raptor's like struggling to get up. What? It can't get up. And then they think what happened next is there was either a sand dune has collapsed on them or some sort of mudslide has then buried them. What? Locked in this position for all time. That is insane. I would. I love that. Like that's the last vengeance of the protoceratops. <laughs> that's insane. So you can see this fossil in the Mongolian Dinosaur Museum in Ulaanbaatar now. Right. Let's go. It's <laughs> <laughs> like editing the sound of a plane taking off. I really would like to go and see that. Now, Absolutely. Actually. We're adding that to the list of where we're going to record oh, a definitely. live episode. Uh, and yeah, so uh, this woman, Halska Omoska, they found two different types of velociraptor over in Mongolia. But here's the main fact. Right. Did you know that the velociraptor, the actual dinosaur velociraptor, mm-hmm. is was only about 50 centimetres tall and about the size of a turkey? And the protoceratops it's locked in combat with is actually about the size of a sheep. What? Yep. I thought protoceratops. Well, I thought like those sorts of dinosaurs were massive. No. Like the size of like a bull. A velociraptor was only about the size of a turkey. What? And it was about fifteen kilos. It still had. What? The, they still had the vicious three clawed. Yeah, but you could fight that off. <laughs> I could fight a turkey <laughs> off. Like that. It would still have a proper go at you. But someone attach a knife to a turkey's foot and put, <laughs> put me in a room with it and see what happens. I don't think that's a fair comparison. <laughs> what? Yeah, okay, so fifty centimeters tall. Fifty centimeters tall and about two meters long from nose to tail. Right. Okay. Now fifty centimeters. So yeah, I work in inches. So. That's that's what, 18 inches? Yeah. So it's about one and a half and feet half. high. Okay. And about seven, what? seven that's feet long. immensely disappointing, if mm. that's true. Because, yeah, like I say, the ones in Jurassic Park are terrifying. Mm. Um, so is that true? Where Velociraptor's only 50 centimetres high? You know... Yeah, I I really... Uh, this is like the feathers thing. Mm. I don't want it to be true, but I can mm. imagine that it is. The, what's actually thrown me a bit is that Protoceratops is only like the size of a sheep. Mm. The fact that you had sort of Triceratops-type dinosaurs they, that were that small. I think there were other much larger versions yeah. of Protoceratops, but it wasn't called Protoceratops. Right. It would have had another name. There's so many different classifications of yeah. dinosaurs that it's it'd be impossible to start listing them all. Yeah, of course. It was the size of a turkey? Mm. Uh, you know what I'm genuinely trying to think is whether I've ever seen a live turkey. I, I must have said <laughs> it at some point, like a, like visiting a farm in a school trip or something. But I genuinely don't think I have. I can't think that I have. I've seen them in supermarkets. Mm. <sighs> a velociraptor's only a foot and a half tall. 
Yeah, you know what? I really don't want it to be true, but I can imagine that it is because they take a lot of poetic license with mm. things like that. Okay. Yeah, I, that's what I'm coming down to is that I don't want it to be true, but it probably is. The Protoceratops one is the one that I'm finding harder to believe that, mm. that there were those types of dinosaurs that were that small. But mm. Turkey locked in combat with a sheep. You know, and the thing is, I'm sure th- this is ringing a really vague bell because I used uh. to have a book on the making of Jurassic Park because I was such a dinosaur nerd when Mm. I was a kid. And I'm sure there was something in that where they said that they used elements of lots of different types of dinosaurs to build Mm. the sort of idea of a velociraptor in that film. Mm. And in the book, of course. The book's really good if you've Mm. ever read it. Um, Yeah, so I'm coming down on the thing of true here. It's really disappointing if Mm. it's true, though, because they were really scary. But (sighs) okay, yeah, I'm going to say that's true, yes. This fact is completely true. Oh, wow. It shattered the illusions. Oh, what a shame, The velociraptors though. were tiny, but the raptors in Jurassic Park mm. um, were actually based on a different type of raptor called the Utah raptor. Oh, this... Now, now you've said that name, that rings yeah. a real they, bell. They were big. Yeah. They were much more like the ones you'll see in the movies. And, uh, yeah. And there's a thing called a baryonyx. I think mm. that they were going to work into one of the films. This is... I'm so, like, I'm so nerdy about Jurassic <laughs> Park. But I'm sure they were going to work that into one of the films and mm. that's sort of elements of that in that as well. Mm. Utah raptor, though, as soon as you said that, that kind of does yeah, ring a bell. Yeah, that's about the size of the ones in the film. And it's part of the... The same raptor group, but yeah. the velociraptor is a little tiny little thing. See, this is the thing, though. I can imagine that Michael Crichton, when he wrote this, was like, right, I want that really scary one, mm. but Utah Raptor is such a terrible <laughs> name. <laughs> we'll just go with the name of that one yeah. and the anatomy of that Utah. one. Utah. Watch out for those Utah Raptors. <laughs> you know, Actually, yeah, I was watching Jurassic Park the other day, and I got really riled up that uh, the velociraptor licks a spoon in the kitchen. And reptiles can't stick their tongues out like that. <laughs> and I was sat there going, crocodiles can't put their tongues out. And I'm sure, like, obviously snakes and things Of can. all your gripes, <laughs> you could have yeah, had. Yeah, no, and I was like, I don't think it could have stuck its tongue out like that. And that, it just, you know, it ruined the scene. So yes, they should be the size of turkeys. Yeah, we, yeah, we need to retrospectively watch Jurassic Park. Mm. But actually, the Utah raptor is now the state dinosaur for Utah, obviously. How would you, how'd you pick a state dinosaur? <laughs> But we they... we don't really do anything like that over here. No. Well, I suppose the new football team is named after a mag- the magpies. So yeah, so like the county yeah. bird would be like the magpie. But magpies are dickheads, though. Like, um... Yeah, true. And you're really superstitious about them. I am. As we, we've, we've mentioned before. many times, I say morning captain to, <laughs> yeah. to magpies. If anyone else says morning captain to magpies, please let me know. I don't want to be the only one. <sighs> please tell him he's the only one. He might, <laughs> he might stop doing it then. <laughs> So, it's 2-1 to me now, but before we go on, I believe we've had the biggest BS fact I've ever heard during that short break, because <laughs> Paul claims he could have taken down a velociraptor. Well, yeah, we please, like... please justify. Well, no, how we, could like... you take down a velociraptor, Paul? Well, after that fact, we were just chatting about like how the fact that it was true, obviously, mm. and like a foot and a half is nothing. Like, you could... like. You could like just kick it to death. <laughs> it's got re- vicious teeth. Yeah, vicious claws. Like, like if it just jumps for your neck, like I what suppose, are you going to do? I, I Strangle it. it. Yeah. Well, she has a point. That's like, a legitimate defence. I reckon if a turkey went absolutely local on us, I could, I could. I mean, I'm, I'm vegetarian. <laughs> I wouldn't want to, but I reckon I could stop it. Turkeys it, are vicious. They yeah. cause a lot of injuries. Apparently, I've just I've made up in my head. <laughs> <laughs> but like you get like if it just came running at you, you would just like you'd put your foot out and it would trip up. It's, <laughs> It's a foot and a half tall. It's, but still, it'd be like, like getting attacked by like a toddler. Right. Imagine a dog that's a foot and a half tall, like an Alsatian. 
Like, that season's taller than a foot and a half. Well, right, it's short. Uh, blabrador. A spaniel. A, spa- a, bl- a blabrador. <laughs> a blabrador. <laughs> a labrador. A black labrador or a golden retriever. That's quite vicious. And it, this, uh, yeah, the, the golden retrievers are known for their vicious. It's got clawed hands and clawed feet. How are you going to take that down? Kick it. I, I think I, I reckon I could take a Velociraptor. We should put a, a vote. Could Paul defeat a Velociraptor? We'll put it on Twitter. <laughs> anyway. On your next fact, Paul. Right. Um, okay, straight into it. Do you know what a mutoscope is? Ooh. Let's use my own limited etymology knowledge for this. You won't and... work it out. <laughs> <laughs> You're mm-hmm. right, I'll just not embarrass myself. <laughs> you might not know the word, but you'll definitely know the machine. Mm. Um, it was also known as a what the butler saw. Oh, those those things. They had the, the moving pictures. Yeah, yeah. The, the, so the sort of end of the pier thing. Yeah. Um, it's like a, a flip book of photos. Exactly right. Yeah, That's what look, I was trying to say. Yeah, you look through the... Um, the that sounded like a right peasant there. Oh, they beat him. Oh, moving <laughs> pictures coming to town this week. <laughs> That's, that's your response when you're asked to the cinema, usually. Um, yeah, it's one of those. It's called it's called mm. a mutoscope. Um, I'm trying to think what the derivation of that would be. It probably comes from the same root as, like, mutate. And I'm guessing scope is just view. Yeah, yeah, like microscope. Mm. So it was invented. Do you know what? Actually, do you know when it was invented? I'm sure I've seen these on, like, Old West movies. Yeah, oh, it's yeah. Like, it's like an 1860s or 70s. Oh, wow, a little bit later than that. 1894, mm. it was invented. I th- thought it was later than that. Mm. I thought it was kind of early 1900s, 1920s or something. Mm. But no, 1894 was invented. Um, and it was based on an earlier device called the kinetoscope. Now that does ring a bell. That's one of Thomas Edison's mm. inventions. Um, it was different, whereas the mutoscope was a flick book of like lots of individual pictures. The kinetoscope was a, a spool of film, mm. just a short spool of film that was like illuminated, and you would literally just sort of sit and watch a film. Mm. Basically, it would only last sort of twenty seconds or something. Mm. But the mutoscope was invented by someone who, well, by two people who used to work for Edison. They were called W. K. L. Dixon. Which is, you know, if if you've got a W in your that's initials, a, that's a proper. Yeah, just use your name. Like W <laughs> takes too much time. Uh, he's called William Kennedy Laurie uh, Dixon. He was born in Scotland, actually, and a man called Herman Kassler, this American inventor. They worked for Edison at this around about this time. Edison started working on the kinetoscope, and they came up with the idea of something that was was sort of lighter and could be more mass produced. This mm. having a single spool of film and an electric light was sort of not particularly cost effective and was quite difficult to produce at the time. So they used the sort of flickbook technology in basically the same device gotcha. um, and it was massively successful it was hugely successful they eventually kind of splintered away and formed their own company just to sort of produce mutoscopes here's a fact for you in 1900 um, a mutoscope was produced that had a story inside it on the cards called sherlock holmes baffled okay <laughs> <laughs> this is completely true i'm still not in my facts it lasted 30 seconds and this guy walks in dressed as Sherlock Holmes to find his studies being burgled. Mm-hmm. So he confronts the burglar. The burglar vanishes. You know, like when the, the one actor stands still and the other person oh, just gets out a <laughs> like shot. And then hard, just, hard yeah, edit. Yeah, proper hard <laughs> edit. Uh, he disappears and then Sherlock Holmes is sort of baffled. Hence the title. Sits down, lights a cigar. The burglar reappears. And it's just sort of very daft. That sounds like one of the worst things. <laughs> it's <laughs> not, not the best thing ever. You didn't get much bang for your book in the no, 1900s, you did. did it only you? only lasts 30 seconds. But no one knows who these two actors are who, who mm. play these two characters. But it's the, technically now the first performance of anyone playing Sherlock Holmes. Very who, poorly performed. Yeah, whoever this bloke was. Um, what was he even... Why did he disappear? 
I don't know. Who wrote this? Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> How did it get printed? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Sherlock Holmes Baffled is the first performance of Sherlock Holmes that we, we kind of have a record of. It was thought it was lost um, for years, but it was rediscovered in 1968. And now it must be on YouTube or something. If oh, you really, if you really to want to watch it. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, the first Sherlock Holmes was, was a, a mutoscope. But this guy that we want to talk about, um, this Herman Kassler, mm. who is sort of part of this company and part of the inventing team behind this, Besides sort of working with Edison and things, he was interested in not necessarily these sort of what the butler saw things, which which tended to be like you'd put your money in and it would be like a woman removing her crinolines or something. How, how scandalous. <laughs> I, was, I was actually thinking they were the most popular ones. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, a woman removing her crinolines. <laughs> well, that's, that's <laughs> is that the one you're writing now? Is that your, is that your next book, Paul? <laughs> the title of my next Mills and Boone. Your new bodice ripper. <laughs> yeah. But um, he didn't like this. He, he was more interested in the sort of real world applications of the technology that they were coming up with. Mm. So the fact that it ended up being something quite frivolous, he sort of didn't like. And in fact, the year before the mutoscope was invented, he invented a really early... What he called the photo ret, which was a detective camera. It was a mm. tiny camera the size of a watch. So he was really interested in how this sort of technology could be applied to sort of interesting real world situations. And that leads us to the story. Ooh. Okay. Now so, we get this, so from this point on, yeah. this could be yes. Okay. Yes. Everything up to now, completely true. Gotcha. Even the tiny little detective camera from the <laughs> 1890s. How amazing would that be? Mm. Anyway, so this is in 1895 in New York, kind of down the street from. Um, the headquarters of the Mutoscope company that was founded in, in New York that these people ran. A German carpenter who was 20 years old, who's called Ludwig Ostermann, was accused of shooting a shopkeeper, a tobacconist called Joseph King. They'd got into a brawl in the street in Manhattan uh, really early in the morning while King was setting up his shop. Um, there'd been some sort of argument. Uh, a gun had gone off. King was killed. Ostermann's arrested. Mm. There was four witnesses, which was um, King's deliveryman, they were bringing sort of crates back and forward and some other passers-by or something. Case goes to court. This German guy's accused of murdering him. Two witnesses plus Osterman say that he's innocent and that the gun was King's. They knew that, that it was King's mm. gun that had gone off. Osterman said that he was wrongly accused of stealing something from one of the crates. King had confronted him, pulled the gun out and went, put it back. He went, didn't take anything. Mm. That He sort of struggled to get scuffle, the gun off him. Scuffle the scuffle had started. The gun had gone off. And King had been killed. The two other witnesses said that isn't what happened at all. Osterman stole King's gun and shot him in cold blood in the street in mm. the middle of this fight. Okay. This sounds um, like an odd mystery setup. Yeah. Like. So <clears throat> the fact that this happened on 13th Street, which is just around the corner from where this mutoscope company was based, mm. that Castler became really interested in the case. And it was kind of like a bit of a cause celebre at the time. Mm. Um, it was sort of very he, he said, she said. It was two witnesses against two witnesses. Mm. And it came out in the press that none of the witnesses had 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 a clear view of what, of what had actually happened. And eyewitness testimony is notoriously unreliable. <laughs> yeah, too, yeah. especially in retrospect. Yeah. Because um, there was crates and things and there was a horse in the middle of it all. <laughs> what did the horse have to say? <laughs> yeah, the horse, the horse just <laughs> sat that one out. Um, so lots and lots of kind of conflicting statements and kind of no way to sort of prove what had gone on. So Kasselak reads about this in the press. It happened basically on his doorstep. So he steps forward and says, use this technology. What we're going to do is recreate the scene mm -hmm. um, in the street. I'll use my equipment and we'll make spools from each person's point of view. We'll basically mm. set this up. So he suggests this uh, in the middle of this court case. He gets the license to do one, 
to see whether this works or not. So he sets up all of his equipment. Um, people from his office come out and sort of stand in the places where they would have been. They put the horse back. They get the deliverance horse to, <laughs> to come horse. back. I don't want to be involved anymore. <laughs> I'm done with yeah, this. He's getting paid a fee. They put the crates out. He does his camera thing, prints up all the pictures, puts them into a mutoscope, takes it to the courthouse. The judge kind of has a bit of a look, turns the wheel. And he says, have you got that one with the crinoline? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he says, this is just a woman removing her crinolines. <laughs> well, unfortunately, the judge didn't agree that it was worthwhile doing the other three. Mm. He didn't think that it kind of added anything else to the case. So his idea was kind of shot down. And this story sort of vanished until this spool was sort of uh, rediscovered in the 70s. Mm. And this sort of re- was reported back up in the New York Times. Unfortunately, the spool was uh, lost in a fire oh. a year after it was it was rediscovered. Um, but yes, this is one of the sort of earliest mutoscopes with a sort of real world application that we know about. Unfortunately, yeah, it's been lost. And no one was kind of interested in him then doing it for every other court case that came mm. up, which was sort of part of what he was interested in. So he kind of dropped the issue and became more interested and, and kind of threw all of his inventing brain behind not necessarily the kind of application of the technology, but improving the technology as it was. Mm. So you could kind of do whatever you wanted with a mutoscope. But he um, made the camera equipment lighter and more compact so that you could do more and go and visit more places with it. He made the process of printing them a lot lot more streamlined and all the rest of it. So he kind of abandoned his idea to kind of have a mutoscope in every court case. <laughs> Look, everybody, this is how it happened. He kind of abandoned all of that mm. and, and put, put um, all of his efforts into other pursuits. But for a time, uh, he was interested in making this sort of every court case's best friend. Okay, so what happened to Osterman? Osterman, he was acquitted. Ah, uh, because the, the, what uh, evidence? What? The, the, the lack the of evidence. Ah, lack yeah, of they, they ah, couldn't gotcha. prove it either oh, way. Oh, of course, innocent until proven guilty. Yeah. Yes, that's right. That's that, what happens that's, when you're acquitted. <laughs> that's, that's how the law works, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Osterman was... was um, left to go we don't know what happened to him after that mm. um but yeah that's the story that he was interested in the real world application of these crinoline removing uh, machines it's it's an interesting one it sounds very believable it sounds mm. like he was just trying to make a fast book like I think, <laughs> how, how did he get involved in the court case obviously it was in the newspapers it was quite a yeah and it just happened kind of basically in the street so did he just rock up to the judge because i'm sure there's like loads of procedures to submit evidence or the company at the time was a big company mm. so he would have had some some clout mm. how, how he kind of engineered his way into the court case i don't know whether I mean, he don't know the details of it. yeah it went through it mm. but it was a big big company at the time it kind of it's fragmented a, it's a medicine. very late 19th century sort of thing to happen yeah, yeah. They've, they've got very is, yeah. 19th century names as well. I like all of these. Yeah. Hmm. I think I'm leaning towards true on this one. But then again, I'm trying to think of the value it would add. Even if they could recreate it, it would still it still wouldn't be reliable, I wouldn't think, because you still it's the same as the witness testimony. Hmm. I, the idea, I think, was to set the scene up and then because people were saying no one had had a clear view of what had happened. Hmm. So I, I think people were mind of saying, you know, oh, I saw him do this. Mm. Whereas if they set the scene up and then stand in exactly the same position and you actually can't see that happen, then you can kind of prove that their testimony is not great. Mm. Um, so I think it was more sort of like, you know, how reliable is your testimony? It's that mm. sort of thing. They had obviously photographs by this point. Did they have photo evidence in court cases by this point as well? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Mm. I mean, obviously, like the, the mutoscope itself was basically a big flip book of photographs. Mm. Um, I don't know whether photo evidence was used. I don't know. Um, I think I'm leaning towards BS, actually. <laughs> Just because, again, I, I think you've obviously done you did some research under the, the, the mutoscope, cr- the mutoscope mm. and you've got some facts built around it. Mm-hmm. And then you've just Googled German names. 
got this Osterman fella. I couldn't come up with that name myself. <laughs> no, you thought this is a very 19th century thing to happen, a fight outside of tobacconists. Mm-hmm. I think this is BS. Ooh, okay. I feel I'm getting better at this game. All right. As I eat these words in about <laughs> 10 seconds. Yeah, I think you might have wanted to do it, but you don't mm. think you would have even got to the stage of a judge allowing it. I think it'd be like, what's the point? Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think it's because it was quite new technology. They kind of didn't really know what he was... What he was going to do with What he was going to ah, do, gotcha. yeah. So that's why they gave him a chance. Yeah. That could be true. But no, I'm going to go with my gut and say this okay. is an elaborate lie. Mm-hmm. Final answer. Okay. This is BS? Yes. That entire story? Yes. It's BS. Ah, <laughs> You're exactly I right. Yeah. So. I, I, I thought the muter scope was really interesting and I tagged this story on. I've only done this to you once before when you had a story about those drums. Oh, yeah. The timpani thing. And you, yeah. had like a re- you were really interested in, in music, obviously. And, you had, and then you just built a, a lie around <laughs> a, a web timpani of lies. drum. Yeah. So I think I had a feeling that was where that one was yeah. going as well, actually. I kind of really wanted... As I was writing it, I was like, I wish this was true. It does sound like something that should happen. Like yeah. someone just rocks up, I'll save the day. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like a really successful businessman. Everything up to that point, like mm. even the tiny little watch and everything was completely true. Was the court case true? No, everything. I oh, made right. Everything, of yeah. course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A Yeah. I think it was the tobacconist that I went did in, it, actually. I went into too much deep. Oh, that was totally on the fly making of a tobacconist as well. Really? So it was the horse. I was just like, yeah, I'll put, I'll put a horse in <laughs> Story. There. So improv, improv. Right. I think it was like it was a bit too set up. Yeah. Like we've got two witnesses here, two witnesses there, different angles. The more I was writing it, I was like, this is like murder she wrote. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Ooh, maybe I am getting better <laughs> yeah, at this yeah. game. Good story, but no, it's BS. All right. Well done. Thank you. So through it. 3 1. Best you can do is a draw now, Jones. <laughs> okay. So. That was a, a good lie, Paul, but mm. I think I'm, I'm starting to see see between see your lies now and yeah. work through them. I should just have kept that story and like made it into a novel. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like a new, a new Sherlock Holmes esque sort of thing. But for my last fact, um, I wanted to combine a couple of things. Well, obviously you're a fan of etymology, mm-hmm. but you're also a fan of the Vikings. <laughs> from didn't you say you watched the vikings show oh that, yeah that, that, <laughs> yeah i happened to watch that drama series about vikings okay then that's I've, where my knowledge of the I've vikings i've literally went. built this fact around your love of the uh, vikings okay right. <laughs> <laughs> i want to do some i want to start off with some etymology first kind of a bit of history of the oh vikings. no you're not going to put me on the i am i'm going to give you a quick test first oh, i thought no. it would be a fun way to lead into okay because we live in the north of England, mm-hmm. which, as a lot of people would know, was conquered by the Danes. So there's a mm. lot of Viking words that have slipped into English as a result of that. But this is about place names. I think this is something you're quite strong on. Mm-hmm. I say this. Yeah. I wanted, I wanted to start you off with some Viking place names. Okay. And then I want to see if you know what they mean in oh, Old Norse. Hey, all right. Okay. So do you know what a thorpe is? So oh. somewhere like gr- Grime Thorpe or Yeah. Um you know what this is this is horrible because um Wasn't your degree on the on, <laughs> on place? Well names? my masters is in linguistics, but my master's dissertation was Viking about, place names. No, it was about it was about place name origins in mm. the north of England. Thorpe. Um I've got a feeling that it's a town. It is. It actually means secondary settlement to a, a main town. Oh, right. Okay. It's very specific. Yeah. Well, is that just how it was used in Britain? Yes. Because town um, comes from Toon in Old English, mm. which is like, you know, in place names like Stockton mm. and Harton, where we, mm. we grew up, that T-O-N at the end is the same as in town. Mm. 
Is that um, the same as, as ham, like Birmingham? Yeah. Is that like... I think that was like settlement or something. Would Berm be like a person's name? If it's got I-N-G in the middle of it, that tends to be like a possessive marker. Mm. So that would have been like the homestead of, of Berm. someone called something like... So Birmingham, Berm's people's homestead or something. Something like something that, like... yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. So we're getting there. A couple of others, you know, um, a Thwaite. Now that I, I've got a feeling that's a geographical one. It is. It's a woodland clearing. Oh, right. Okay. That's where Old English Lee. Mm. So if there's an L-E-E or an L-Y at mm. the end of a place, that that was the Old English word for clearing. Mm. Old English, I'm, I'm on a better we'll, ground we'll, than Old, on actually, Old English. Actually, we'll get on to a bit of Old English in a second. Okay. Kind of te- continue to test me on my knowledge of Old Norse. <laughs> <laughs> um, last couple, Ness. So like Skegness. That's um, something to do with water. I remember that. Mm. It's a, like a promontory or like a headland. Oh, uh, right. It is. And the last one, Kirk. Oh, that's a church. Yeah, easy one to finish on yeah. that one. But oh, right. <laughs> do I get to keep my masters? <laughs> but I wanted to go to York. Uh, do you know the old English Saxon name for York? Um, it's a Yacog's going for. Well, there's Eberachum, which that was, was the Roman, the Roman name. name. And there was Jorvik. Which was the Viking name. Yes, the Saxon name was Eorthwick. Oh, right, yeah, okay. But, because, like, the Vikings, they weren't just raiders and conquerors. They mixed and settled and mingled with people. So, yeah. But they had trouble, apparently, pronouncing Eorthwick. So that's why they renamed it Jorvik. It was a lot easy, easier oh, for them right. to pronounce. The old English name, did that begin with E-O? Yes. Yeah. E-O. Is that how you would e- Eorthwick? Would that how that would be pronounced? It would probably be an E-O. Um... E-O. E-O. <laughs> Is that for, did Freddie Mercury fan? <laughs> <laughs> Freddie Mercury didn't sing that, did he? I'm sure he did. Didn't he? He just E-O. Oh, uh, like... At Wembley. At Wembley. Oh, oh, there, right, that, okay. there was I a left that turn. was his song, though. <laughs> was so... Freddie Mercury a Viking? No, he was from Zanzibar, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he was. <laughs> yeah. We've gone so far away from your fact. <laughs> anyway, anyway, the point was I was building up to we're in York okay, today. right. And we're in Norse-controlled York. Okay. I don't want to say Viking-controlled York because Viking is actually more of a job title. Viking is like yeah, a raider. I've, yeah, I've read that before. Mm. Um, so people would refer to them as Danes rather than Vikings, because that would assume they're constantly pillaging all the time. Yeah. Viking was like, yeah, like a ransacker. Yeah. It was, it was, I don't yeah. know the exact translation of Viking. Ah. Do you know what ransack means? Oh, yeah, I like this. I like these etymology ones. Uh, Norse, I'm sure ransack is Norse. I'm sure we got mm. that from the Vikings. It means search the house. Really? Yeah. I really like that. That's so cool. I love the fact that I have a, they have a word specifically for that. <laughs> Wait, yeah. Ransack. Yeah. Anyway. So anyway, like most conquerors, the Vikings have now settled. But this is kind of a period when the Vikings were starting to mingle with the local Christians and beliefs were starting to merge together. And it was the slow conversion of the Norse and the Danes mm-hmm. to Christianity. Okay. So we're talking about one of the first Norse kings of York, who was the fir- one of the first Christian kings of York. Oh, right, okay. Uh, called Guthfrith, or Guthrith. And he ruled York in about 883 AD. Mm-hmm. Now, you might know the Vikings, they would often burn their dead. Yes. Yeah, so the kind of the pagan belief behind that was that the fire's smoke would help the carry the deceased to the afterlife. So as oh. the body burned, the smoke would carry them off, off into the sky and off to Valhalla. Or yeah, oh, that's, like. that's nice. Here's a question for you. Were Ooh. they all buried on boards? Oh, that's, well, that's, that's the biggest myth. The longship funeral at sea, yeah. that was incredibly rare. Where yeah. they would like push them out of sea and then set fire to it. Yeah. I've actually petitioned the council. That's how I'd like to go. 
when I do. <laughs> I was like, uh, come on, they'll be, bring the crowds out. We'll push us out in the river time. There we go. <laughs> Set fire to the ship. Oh, it's, the, it's what he wanted. <laughs> so there's very few records of that actually happening. Ah, right. Okay. But it was more common to bury high status Danes in with their boats. Right. Actually, right. there was a famous one where there was a, a woman who was buried with her boat as well, actually. We keep saying buried, but they were burnt, were they? Oh, no. this uh, Some like some of the highest ones were buried with the boat. Actually buried with the boat? Yes. It's known as the Osberg ship, I think after the region it was found in. And she was buried with a boat that was 70 feet long and 17 feet wide. Had 15 oars on each side. What? A 30 foot high pine mast and big enough for 30 people to sit in. What? And she was buried Why? With a, she was because they're obviously well known for seafaring. It was a very they're not well known for their economical use of ships. <laughs> this was a it was a, that ship. That's the thing. It. It was a, but that's the whole What's point. What's wrong with them? That's the whole point. That's a, it's a status symbol. Look, uh, it's like yeah, I'm so that. I'm so important and powerful that I can be buried with this what incredibly expensive a no- seventy foot ship. Yes. That is true. This is all true. I, uh, was she 69 foot tall? Like, <laughs> no, she was, of course not. That's insane. It's a stainless how thing. The, well, how big would the grave have been? Well, it was massive, obviously. And this a is bit, true. Are you already making this no, up? No, this, compl- <laughs> this is actually completely true. That's blowing my mind that that's, that that's true. So that they was... buried her in a 70 foot ship. Yes. And it's not the only long ship burial. There's quite a few of them, actually. Did that bit, they'd be everywhere. There's probably one in the back garden. <laughs> that's insane. <laughs> you're really, you're really labouring this yeah. point. Okay, sorry. Anyway, this isn't even your fact. It isn't. Right. I haven't even got to the fact. Okay. I'm getting the point is that there was now kind of a mix of pagan and Christian beliefs, and a lot of the Norse and the Danes were starting to bury their dead instead of burn them. Oh, right. Okay. And this is where we get the fact that, did you know, this is where the Yesobias bit. Right. While Guthfrith was king of York, he started to build catacombs under what is the site of Yorkminster because he'd actually visited Rome as a younger man. He had seen the catacombs there and mm-hmm. there was, wasn't a lot of space in York, mm-hmm. uh, but he wanted to keep the bodies within a holy site. So right. they started to dig catacombs under the site of Yorkminster. There's actually about 600 bodies down there. and Underneath Yorkminster? Yes. And, you know, Guy Fawkes' grandparents are buried there. Okay, this, we've gone from the sublime to the ridiculous pretty quickly. Right. Guy Fawkes' grandparents. Yes. So, hang on. Guy Fawkes uh, is a lot more modern than the the Viking raids. Mm. So, how long were these catacombs in use for? Um, intermittently in use from the 800s to about the 1700s. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm. But they weren't they're actually that popular. People didn't tend to want to bury people in catacombs. They they preferred like traditional burials. Yeah. So like the peasant folk would often just take the bodies outside of the city to bury them in graveyards outside. Right. Right. It tended to be people slightly more high status. Oh, I want to. Oh, I'm connected to the church. It often be a donation to the church and then the minster. So oh, please, I'd like my family member Put buried in the, in the catacombs. Okay. So there you go. Is there? A uh, catacomb underneath Yorkminster, where Guy Fawkes' grandparents are buried. Okay. It all sounded really believable until you threw in Guy Fawkes' grandparents. Mm. Have you got any more facts about them? Have you got any more information about them? I tried reading about them, and there's very little about them. Do we even know their names? I haven't written those down. <laughs> so... um, you'd have to have some kind of connection to the church, or have to sort of donate to the church to, to be put into the catacombs. catacombs. Okay. Do we know how many bodies are down there? About 600. Like I said, it wasn't used very often. It didn't really catch on. That's still enough, though. <laughs> Over the course of like seven, eight hundred years. So. And can you get into them? 
Um, Do they? I don't think you can actually. They've so we just know that they up. exist. Mm. It's a bit creepy if this mm. is true. I mean, I know catacombs exist anyway, um, but is there a catacomb under York Minster? Yes. It sounds believable. It really does sound believable. But I'm also thinking that you like your history. All uh, the, these characters exist. Mm. And I can just imagine that you've maybe like shoehorned them in mm. and concocted this because you want there to be a catacomb <laughs> under York Minster. Okay, I'm going to say... My gut's saying that you've made this up. You ready for an answer? Uh, this is hard mm. because it does sound very, very believable. But it also sounds like the kind of thing that you would invent to be believable, mm. which is, I suppose, the whole point of this game. <laughs> yeah, really, you, really, you really nailed it there. <laughs> Finally worked it out after 15 episodes. Uh, okay, no, I'm just going to go with my gut. I'm going to say that's BS. I think you've made that up. I don't think that there are catacombs under York. You are correct. Yes, there are no catacombs in New York, Minster. That we know about. <laughs> That's Although oh, Guy oh. Fawkes' grandparents are buried at York Minster, just not in a catacomb. Oh, right. Uh, okay. That's interesting. Mm. Catacombs kind of creep me out a little bit. I'd still, I'd like to go to the ones in Rome, actually. Just to have a, they must do tours of them in Rome. I would have thought so. You mm. can go down the one in Paris. Mm. I know that. Oh, you said you used to be able to. Mm. And there's that sort of chasm that's like lined with skulls and stuff mm. it's all a bit odd like, I, yeah I don't think I'd like to do that no come on it'll be a fun if trip if you go to Paris you can go down there and I'll just sit in a bar <laughs> I'll, I'll see you in an hour <laughs> past the absinthe I could come back like ashen faced in horror <laughs> like I just got just shaking <laughs> what, a, what a trip this was <laughs> You know, I'm just thinking I should have gone with that 70-foot wagging longship as a fact because you found that so much more unbelievable. I can't believe that's that. actually true. Like, when you said that she was buried with a boat, I thought it was going to be like a sort of Lady of Shalott thing and that no, she was just lying like down in a, a canoe. Full long ship she a longship. A longship. Mm. Like, imagine the logistics of that. Again, that was the whole point to show <sighs> the high status individual. That is incredible. Oh, well. There you go. Yeah, What's so, 3-2. This... Ooh, Ooh, I can pull it back. There we go. I can pull it back. Let's see what we can do. Right. Okay, that was a good fact. Assume it wasn't true. <laughs> so, uh, last one. Now, can you remember? It it seems decades ago now, but we were talking about the Amsterdam Olympic Games. <laughs> <laughs> Way back in the mists of yeah. time. Um, well, when I said that there was lots and lots of brilliant stories about them, uh, I wasn't lying because I've got another one from exactly the same Olympic Games. Okay. Now, this is a new, yeah. new twist. We're revisiting the same facts. Uh, well, not the same fact. <laughs> Did you know that the parking... Sa- no. Um, this is about someone called Bobby Pierce. Already, this is made up. <laughs> or Henry Robert Pierce, as he was known. He was an Australian rower who competed at uh, the 1928 Olympics. He was born in 1905, so that would mean about 23 mm. back then. A very sporting family. Um, his father was a rower competitively. His grandfather had been a rower. He, and so he was incredibly good at rowing. He was the only rower who went from Australia to Amsterdam. So did, he, bit... did he row there? <laughs> I don't think so. He might have done, but he might have, you know, got there a little bit late mm. if he did. Um, so, yeah, he was also the flag bearer at that Olympic for, for um, Australia. He basically mopped the floor with the rowing events at, mm. um, at the Amsterdam Olympics. I've got his little track record here. In the first round, uh, he won by 12 lengths. So the length of like a rowing boat mm. times 12. 
That's how far ahead he was. And um, he even stopped before the finish line to let some of the other people catch up. He felt so bad. Really? Yeah, he was that much better than everybody else. I want this to be true now already. Um, In the second round, he won by eight lengths. In the quarterfinals, he won... It's a 2,000-meter course. Uh, he, he rolled that in a time of seven minutes, 42 seconds. His opponent, it was, it was sort of one versus one mm. in all of these rounds. Uh, his opponent uh, did it in eight minutes, 11. So he was, even then he's still, you know, they're narrowing the field down. He's still 30 seconds ahead. Jeez. The semi-final was a much tighter race. Uh, he beat a British uh, rower um, by three quarters of a length. So that was a much mm. tighter yeah. race. But then in the final, uh, he won by clear 25 seconds um, and set <laughs> set a new Olympic record in, in the process. But even then, his fastest time was seven minutes, one second, which for a 2,000 meter row is insane. Mm. Uh, but the, the record went down as seven minutes, 11, because that wasn't the full, uh, that, that sort of time didn't count. So it's seven minutes, 11 was his record that he set, which for 2,000 meters is absolutely ridiculous. It takes me about 25 minutes to do that. Sitting on the roll machine. Um, <laughs> so what I'm going to talk to you about is uh, that quarterfinal race. So that one where he won by sort of a clear 30 seconds. Mm. Uh, he was up against a French uh, rower called Vincent Sauvain. And what happened partway through the race is obviously Bobby Pierce has made a huge lead already mm. against his opponent. And then he starts to see people on the side of the, the river that they were, they were rowing down kind of pointing into the water and okay. going, da, 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 point, point, point. <laughs> so he looks ahead and what does he see? A family of ducks. <laughs> crossing okay. his lane in the river. I'm okay. ready to answer. <laughs> so, screeches to a halt, or as much as you can do in a canoe, um, and stops, lets these ducks float by, by which time uh, his opponent overtakes him and gets quite far ahead because he's just sat there waiting for these ducks to pass by. So, stops to let them pass. It's around about the halfway point in the race, so there's still about a thousand meters, slightly over a thousand meters left to go. He's caught, not only caught up, and won the race, but he won it by 29 seconds. So he absolutely flew ahead, even Jeez. even after stopping to let some ducks pass. So, yeah, he absolutely mopped up in the 1928 Olympics, but he did so um, by saving a family of ducks. Right. I think you're bitter after Lieutenant Commander Bill Bokes from last week. <laughs> so you. Oh, God, I'd forgotten about Bill Bokes. So you thought of the most... Schmaltzy little load of nonsense. Oh, yeah, it's just family a schmaltzy of, story. A family of ducks. This is utter nonsense. <laughs> there's no even. There's no way to interrogate this other than to say you thought of this this morning. <laughs> I was walking through the park. I saw, saw some ducks. That's literally what's happened. You've and seen. I was like, oh, I'll use that. You fact. saw some ducks today, and you just. Because I remember last night at the pub, you said you had two really good facts, and you had to do one this morning. And I think I think this is the one you've done this. <laughs> this morning. is the one I concocted. Yeah. A family of ducks swimming. <laughs> Are you being serious? <laughs> well, that's the question. What type of ducks were they? I don't know. I'm guessing if, it was, in, if it was in Holland, it was probably mallards. Maybe it was tufted ducks. I don't know. <laughs> so, it's another species so of duck. So we've got possibly mallards are tufted ducks. Maybe it was a, a goosander. I'm literally just naming <laughs> types of ducks now. This is like... No, no, I, I'm going to take this seriously for yeah, a second. No, I'm going to try and ask some questions. I think the other facts are true. Bobby Pierce... You think he existed? I think he existed. That doesn't sound like a name I made up. <laughs> <laughs> Again, the fact that you're, you, you've got 
such a look on your face. Now. It's <laughs> what? It's if to say, yeah, I've I found this stupid fact that's what, actually what? true. This is like fooling you all over again. <laughs> God, God, that thought he sent us into an aneurysm. That one, jeez. <laughs> right. So why were the ducks just were they swimming? Why were they on the river? That's where ducks live. Could they not? Why just, were they swimming? That's how ducks get about. They have not just gotten out of the way. Like the, surely they, the they, du- I don't think they were particularly bothered that there surely. was a, a rowing no, no, race no. going on. Surely, right? The, I'm a duck sitting on the river, right? okay, and I see something large moving towards me. Oh, I think oh that might be a predator. Maybe I should get out the way. So that's what the ducks would do. Why? Why? Why wouldn't they fly off or something? Why would he? How? How much damage is he going to do to the ducks? How stupid are these ducks <laughs> if they don't get out the way? He said, this, they deserve to get hit in the face no, with but, it all. Like, yeah, they're just a family of ducks. They're just potting around on the river doing what they're Swear doing. They don't know God. that it's the Amsterdam Olympics. They <laughs> haven't they got know, their parking tickets. They know how to get out of the way of things. Well, yeah, but... This is utter bollocks. This is, this, is, this is the worst bollocks you've ever concocted on this show. <laughs> I think I'm ready to answer. All right. <laughs> I think this is BS. And I swear to God, if this is true. <laughs> Final answer. Final answer. This is BS. Okay. That entire story is true. No. <laughs> oh, God. No. It's Why? completely true. Yeah. No, it, it isn't. It is. No, it isn't. It is. <laughs> A family of. You're, you're kidding. And he still won by 30 seconds. Yeah. Oh. He's absolutely incredible, Bobby Pierce. He's uh, absolutely having my life with this. I'm sorry. Yep, uh, the 1928 Olympics is an absolute gold mine. I'm just, I'm genuinely disgusted. <laughs> and now I feel like you need to apologise to every duck in the world. No, <laughs> no, no, they, they, if they can't get out of the way of a canoe or whatever he was in, a rowboat. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, I'm raging. Uh, well, you've thrown the win away as well. Instead I have... of a draw. Ah. <laughs> And on that fact as well, dear me. This just keeps happening. I'm going to find something ever more ridiculous for next week. I'm going to do three facts just about ducks. <laughs> Let's just have a duck episode next week. <laughs> so anyway, what, what have we learned today, Paul? I've learned that ducks are incredibly stupid and can't get out of the way of boats. We've learned that you underestimate uh, how much people like ducks. <laughs> I, get, I get a lot of hate. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's completely true. So was the fact that the um, parking sign was invented mm. for the Amsterdam Olympics. I quite like that fact. I know it's incredibly boring, but I quite <laughs> like it. Um, and although my mutoscope fact was, was made up, I like the fact that the first Sherlock Holmes performance mm. was in one of those little machines and it, was, it wasn't even a proper story. It was <laughs> Some kind of phantom burglar. So yeah, I, the, yeah. Although that fact was made up, the Sherlock Holmes part of that was true. And a lot of firsts at the Amsterdam Olympics. Yeah, as well. yeah. It, I mean, it's like ridiculous. The, the Olympics is just an absolute goldmine. We've done a few facts. We should. We now. need to do some follow-ups on a lot of these. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So on my side, we learned that there were sports hooligans in ancient Constantinople. That's, yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, burned down much of the city and the Hagia Sophia. Mm. And we've got some Viking names, but there is there is no crypts no. or no, no catacombs below York Minster. Unfortunately not, no. Mm. And we also learned the Velociraptor is tiny. Yeah. And we also learned apparently Paul could defeat one in Mortal Kombat. I reckon I could, you know. I, I'm still going to believe. I can, I'm pretty feisty when cornered. <laughs> <laughs> 
Someone put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> I'm pretty feisty when cornered. And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, I'll just mention on, on the Patreon, we might make a video of Paul fighting a velociraptor one day. So yeah, if, you if you'd like to, to head over there and support us. Even you, a turkey. Any any support we can get, we, we'll fund this project yeah. to recreate a velociraptor to fight Paul. Yeah. Our new purpose in life. <laughs> we log on to it tomorrow, it's like 10 million pounds. <laughs> We'd like to make a, a proper project <laughs> to bring back the Velociraptor just for this video. We'll report back. And we certainly will, everybody. And thanks very much for listening, and we will catch you next month.